and that DLF family a podcast. That's Tommy B. I'm the SFD. This is a super flex super show, and here we go, Tommy. We're back after a, a man. Like schedules just kind of did not line up last week, and it's not just not just our guests either. It was it was the two of us as well. So. Uh, we got uh, a little bit of a break, um, but I think that we're going to make up for it here today with some, uh, we're going to work a little bit of double time talking about, uh, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk today about something that I think is on the Super Friends minds, and it's not rookies, thankfully. <laughs> we're going to talk about startup drafts. What do you think, John? Should we do that? Uh, yeah, that sounds good to me. Cool, man. Yeah, I've got a lot of questions for you. I just want to lead off this conversation by saying I have not done a startup draft in three years. So while Whoa. I may not have a lot of functional wisdom, I have thought a lot about this topic and I do have some questions for you. First and foremost, John, have you done any startups this non-point scoring season? Not yet. Okay. No. Um, I kind of think that there will be another uh, another um dynasty warriors startup cool. uh coming soon so yeah that'll be my first chance this year but uh i typically do at least two of them every year i think mm -hmm. I, this is the perfect time of year to talk about this subject in my opinion because i've been invited to a number of startups and so far i've been able to resist the temptation i personally if i'm going to do one i kind of want to wait until after the rookie draft you know, in April, whenever the NFL drafts their rookies. But I know other folks are getting into it. So let me just um, let me just start with a couple questions for you, John, and we'll see where the conversation goes. First and foremost, tell me about your approach going into a startup. Not the day of the draft, but really you've decided to sign up for this new league. Tell me what's on your mind at that point. Oh, man, so much. Um and, it, you know, so I, th I thought about this, like I, uh, uh, I haven't done actual startups, but I I'm running mock drafts for, uh, for DLF Superflex ADP, um, that, you know, that'll probably be like a week away that we'll have some, some new ADP. Um, and I bring that up, you know, partly because it, it, maybe I'm trying to establish a little credibility here. Like, yeah, I do. I'm, I've, I've got 10 <laughs> startups going right now, totally. They're drafts, all <laughs> but still, um, but even more importantly, I do think that ADP, uh, while I think it's, it's a very flawed tool, I think it's a very important one for us to be looking at because, it really kind of gives you an idea of how people are valuing um, different players in the context of the startup. And we talk about this all the time, that there's a, a massive, massive difference, right, between player values in the startup and outside, like, you, you know, once the startup is over. Like mm -hmm. the second that the startup ends, all the, all the values get jumbled. And so... You know that at that point the ADP kind of stops mattering, but you know you can really kind of get an idea of, you know, what if you've got specific players that you want to target, um, even if you're just kind of targeting specific profiles to kind of understand um, just kind of the consensus thought on uh, on you know those player values and where those players should and probably will be drafted and like it kind of it creates some opportunities to really kind of uh you know really kind of refine your overall strategy your overall process um you know just just kind of like surface level kind of one of the things that you can do is um if you are looking for a certain you're looking at a certain profile at uh wide receiver for instance um, and, you know, you kind of bucket all the wide receivers and say, all right, here are the guys that kind of fit the criteria of what I'm looking for for my top wide receiver and find the guy with the lowest ADP and kind of target him in that area, maybe even around earlier, you know, but like it, it really kind of, man, it, it really kind of uh, brings clarity to 
the way that that draft is going to go and um, really kind of it also man with like wide receiver is my favorite example because it also really kind of illustrates to you ahead of time the abundance at that position because you go into it with that scarcity mindset and you're going to end up reaching for some guys and then later on you're going to be like man I I, I could have had a very similar player you know three rounds later and which means three picks that I could be used on quarterbacks and running backs. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, that that's kind of a, a big, um, a, a big hack that I don't know that enough people really take advantage of is uh, looking at that ADP. Uh, the other cool thing with the DLF ADP in particular, I mean, so we've got rookie players, uh, involved already so we're already drafting Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. within the startup player pool um, very rarely are you going to see an actual startup that does that like the most likely scenario is there it's going to be rookie picks included but you know it still kind of gives you an opportunity to to start looking at where the rookie players would slot in and therefore you know, where are you going to take the the rookie pick uh, that correlates with that player? Um, and, you know, it kind of helps you to, uh, to, to visualize a little bit more what your finished roster after the rookie draft is going to look like. I had a thought while I was riding my bike the other day that goes perfectly in line with this, I think. And I, I, was, I wanted to get your feedback on it. Mm-hmm. The people that you bring into the DLF Superflex ADP mock drafts, I think they are sharper than the average dynasty player. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. When you look at real ADP this time of year, I think we should essentially put that on the sixth best manager in a random league because it's the average draft position. The good managers, the bad managers, they're all lumped into this real ADP. And I don't know if we should take early ADP as gospel. I think what you should do is look at sites like DLF where really smart people are doing these mock drafts and find the delta between real ADP and what the DLF mock drafts are showing and really just try to harvest the value between those discrepancies. Does that make any sense to you? Is that something that you've ever done? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I don't know that I've, that I've really gone out of my way to do it, but, um, but I think you're right. And, you know, like the big knock on, ADP, especially when it's when we get it from mock drafts like this, is that there's no skin in the game. Mm. You know, they they'll say, look at ADP from leagues where there's a significant amount of money on the line. But like you said, in those leagues, they're they're also going to be more casual players. They're going to be people who aren't as familiar with Superflex. Not only that, like we have a part of what makes our our ADP so strong I'm I feel like I'm going on a sales pitch here <laughs> that's not, what, not exactly what I mean to do but like I legitimately feel this way part of what makes our ADP so strong is not only do we have sharp experienced drafters top to bottom in every mock but we also have people who understand the assignment mm-hmm. they keep coming back we've got it it's the same people every month uh, doing these these mock drafts with me and so you know it, like you you kind of start to get into a little bit of a mode of of uh you know thinking in terms of how uh you know what's the most useful thing here um in order to create this adp like you know so like you don't get the outliers because nobody's nobody's you know drafting just like you know just just going way off the rails going like zero qb or anything like that like nobody's doing that because they recognize that that's not super helpful yep so whereas in a in just a regular league where they're not thinking about the adp that they're creating they're just thinking about this is how i think i can win this league and then you know forget about the fact that like they don't have a freaking chance at winning the league by going zero QB. Yeah. But you know, they're also, they're not thinking about the the ADP that they're creating. They're just mm-hmm. thinking about their own roster. 
they're thinking about, you know, what's going to be fun for them or, you know, something like that. And is so, you know, to, that's where to me, this becomes that much more useful as well. Absolutely. And you brought up a, a big point there about winning. I want to bring us back to a startup mentality. What are your expectations around winning once the startup draft has commenced? Um, let's say you've gone through the first round and you have, you know, quarterback four, whoever that is for you. Um, you know, you're you're in the early phases of a draft. What are you expecting in terms of winning in the first year? Are you somebody who wants to try to contend in the first year? Do you want to contend? try to contend every single year? How do you approach that? I think, uh, well, so QBX is definitely designed to be like a, a win from now on type of thing. Um, you know, the kind of the idea being that you've got enough quarterbacks in, in arms race is, uh, you know, tape takes this maybe even a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I- idea being that I don't have to address that position again after the startup for years, you know, I've got enough guys and they're youngish and, you know, it's going to be kind of this slow release of, of me, you know, of these guys aging out or busting out, whatever. Um, but you know, it, it like, I'll probably, maybe I'll lose one quarterback this year. Like he'll retire or, um, you know, he'll lose his job because he sucks or something like that. But I still have four of them. Like I'm, so again, like I'm kind of years away from, uh, from needing to readdress that, that position, um, which is massively, massively beneficial, you know? So, um, so yeah, kind of the, that's a big part of it is just knowing that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to have this, this advantage just kind of built in, uh, for the next several years, and you know maybe i'll i'll be competitive every single year maybe there'll be some you know maybe i'll trip and fall here and there but uh the most likely scenario is i've put myself in a position here where the most likely scenario is uh that i'm going to be competitive because my quarterback position is strong so you know i think uh, uh there there are other key performance indicators i think um you know, that the, we can kind of look at, and it depends on, you know, like your, your preferred roster build, obviously, you know, for me, super flex flywheel, we could talk a little bit about, about that. And then kind of some of the indicators based on that. But um, to me, the big one is, is quarterback and what type of uh, situation is that going to leave me in for the future? I'm sure you get this a lot. I get this in DM sometimes, Somebody is going into a startup and their aim is not winning this year. What do you tell folks who have that approach? Is that something that you've employed yourself, you're comfortable doing, or you recommend doing the productive struggle or however you want to term this this first year rebuild into contention in the second year? Um, so I've, I've come around a little bit on this. Uh, I mean, the tough part is it's kind of hard to go QBX and then with a productive struggle roster otherwise, you know, like you kind of end up with a a group of quarterbacks who are who are just uh, like you're going to score points. You're going to win games because of the advantage that you have at the quarterback position. So um, so it's a little hard to productive struggle with a QBX roster. I mean, you could certainly load up on some younger guys, you know, get get a bunch of rookies in this year's class and, you know, like Will Levis and Bryce Young. And like you could do a, a productive struggle approach around those guys. Um, but generally speaking, like if you you have to just get the perfect mix at quarterback to be able to do that. Um, but with that being said, I I used to just feel like, man, like, why would you waste a year of, uh, you know, of, of just not even having a shot at the money and, um, you know, in order to potentially put yourself in a kind of a, a good position long-term starting in year two, um, I was like, you know, I, I, like I get the premise of it. I'm just way too competitive to ever just be like, all right, screw it this year. 
is just a throwaway for me, you know? Um, but I've really kind of, I, I, I've just, se- I've just seen some people and, and we talk all the time about J Mike and trade addict six and what he's done. Uh, he, he really kind of rebuilt around a, a, um, a kind of a productive struggle type of approach. Uh, it was, there probably wasn't going to be a lot of struggle cause he had every pick, <laughs> every rookie pick. So it's like. <laughs> He's going to catch the hits like the, there's just kind of no way around that. But but we've just seen his, you know, his ability to to just kind of sustain this for several years. And it's like, man, OK, there's there's there can be some value to taking a step back, uh, taking yourself out of contention year one. And then, uh, you know, in order to put yourself in a position where it's just non-stop winning after that once mm-hmm. these guys kind of develop and mature so uh i see value in it i i still think it's kind of a needle thread but uh i see i can see the value in it for sure i'm I curious what think, you, yeah, yeah. i, I kind of think people who employ this strategy successfully would be good at almost any strategy they're just right. good <laughs> dynasty players, right? And yes, did I get a little bit of a booster cable jump by waiting a year and maybe getting a higher draft pick or you know trading for injured players? Yeah, I guess. But I think mm-hmm. they could probably also win if they employed a different strategy because they're good at trading and roster management and roster construction and totally. all the things that make you a good winning player. If you're going to do the productive struggle thing and do it successfully, you also have to have this other skill set. It's not just about value accrual, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's that's very true. Um, yeah, like almost to a point where like I think that part of where productive struggle tends to actually work for people is kind of as an auxiliary strategy to something else with their roster construction, right? Like, um, in you know, again, in the case of J. Mike, like a big part of it is uh, it was it wasn't that um, you know he put together this really strong roster that just kind of all developed and all came together all at once. There was some of that, but there was also just a ton of value on his roster that he was able to kind of cash in. And so, you know, it's almost like in order to make productive struggle work, uh, the, you know, I mean, it, like it can work. I think it takes just as much luck as anything else for it to work just kind of in its purest form. But, uh, you know, if, if the way to really make productive struggle work would be to, build this high value, high leverage roster and then start cashing it in. Mm-hmm. You don't want to sit and wait on these guys to, to boom or bust. That's where you start bleeding that value, you know, whereas um, in order to actually build it up, you start with a, that, that significant amount of value. And then you just kind of um, you start, you start spending that, that currency that you've accrued. Yeah, I've always likened it to state change. So when you've got like a a pot of water on the stove, right? You see those little bubbles in the bottom of the pot and you know (laughs) that boiling is going to happen soon, but it doesn't happen yet, right? Like there's this accumulation of more and more energy in the pot of water and then it starts to boil. It doesn't matter if you're accruing value until you actually leverage the value into something that is meaningful to the goal of winning. So yeah. Enough, enough hammering productive struggle. Sorry, Ryan McDowell. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Um, how do you feel about the way that QBs are being valued in startups right now? Do you think they're being valued fairly? Do you like the distribution of where they're landing in these mock drafts that you're doing? Um, so it's it's still pretty similar to what it's been the last few years. We're still kind of on this the the pendulum is still swinging in one direction right now it hasn't come back the other way just yet um so like the first round of a startup is going to be super heavy on quarterbacks and the second round will as well um 
you know, there'll be kind of a little bit of a pause at the end of the first round when you get past the guys like, uh, you know, like maybe Kyler Murray kind of sneaks in at the end. Um, it's more right. It, it, this is a crazy part to me, man. Right now, people are feeling like Justin and Herbert and Joe Burrow are kind of like late first round type of guys. Yeah. Um, which to me, like, I, I still, I like, I'm still taking those guys top five. Um, but you know, so you kind of, you, you have kind of that, the top like two or three tiers in the first round, uh, and then the next tier or two in the second round. So it's still very top heavy, uh, at quarterback. And, um, I mean, I don't think that that's, so it's one of those things where like like I I think the cl- the conclusion is correct but I think that like when they show their math it's like uh like you kind of stumbled into the right answer but like you certainly didn't just like confidently stomp on it you know <laughs> like you you didn't it, like you you yeah you came to the right conclusion but with very flawed logic essentially mm-hmm. Who's the last um, quarterback right now that you would spend a random 2025 first to acquire if you're in a startup and you're not quite hitting your QBX numbers? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, maybe like Will Levis, Bryce Young, um, man, possibly Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's probably kind of the range for me. Wait, wait, so what about you? Have you thought about this? I, you know me, man. I'm I'm the move up QB <laughs> guy, so I want to package more than a random first. I would love yeah. to get Bryce Young for a random first. Yeah, um, I think that that's that's a great bet to make, even though he doesn't have the profile that I'm looking for. The two hits in the top twelve. I think that that's, that's pretty good value. Um, in the, the latest Superflex ADP mock that I was in, there was a pretty big gap. Bryce Young went at the 402, so someone was pretty high on him. Will Levis went to you, John, at 712. And so there's a, there's a good size gap there. And I think mm-hmm. that if you are in a startup, I think you could probably just wait for that cliff and, and get the last guy a couple rounds later and, and not have to pay a first. Do you think that's probably true? Yeah, it seems like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, and it also, it's going to depend on um, your own, you know, kind of your own risk tolerance, your own, you know, your own uh, rankings, uh, things like that. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like who is that last guy that you're comfortable with? Um, and, you know, if if it's north of Will Levis, then you know, then, then that changes the math a little, of course, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, in uh, man, like I, that's, that's part of the problem with the question too, is that so many people, uh, would disagree with me. Most people would disagree with me on, you know, giving up a first for Will Levis, giving up a 25 first for, um, I don't think people would feel particularly good about giving up a 25 first for Bryce Young. Uh, certainly, you know, older guys like Baker Mayfield and I mean, not, it, not old, but Brock Purdy, um, you know, a three-year vet at this point. Uh, I think that people would have a hard time giving up a 25 first. And so at that point, you're kind of telling me that, you know, your, your, your threshold for, uh, you know, what constitutes first round value is quite a bit lower than mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and, and I think that's a big piece of it is like, you've got to be comfortable with, uh, with, with doing that. Uh, if you don't feel like, uh, Will Levis is a, you know, a satisfactory, um, option for you at quarterback, then, uh, you know, you, then yeah, like you've got to prioritize quarterback quite a bit earlier. Um, if you want to make sure that you're getting just the absolute best of it, um, and you don't want to even mess around in those kind of mid tier waters, then yeah, like you've, you've got to get on it and you've got to, uh, 
you've got you've got to get aggressive with it you know you can't you can't have it both ways in this case you've brought up a really good point the last few episodes where there's only 24 or so quarterbacks that you believe in at most mm-hmm. a lot of these guys just aren't available either so it's just right. it's about looking at how the board is falling especially in a startup and saying like when is the time to pounce when do i need to either make this selection or trade for a quarterback that was just drafted, right? Where does the value fit? Because I think you've mentioned this a few times in the past as well. Once the once the board is set, once the draft is over, it becomes exponentially more difficult to grab some of these quarterbacks off existing rosters, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, which is that's that's how it should be. It's just uh, you know, you you just kind of wish that people would uh, would plan for that a little bit more. Um, the fact that that's going to happen, uh, you know, once we get through the startup. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's a theoretical question for you. Let's say I signed you up for 100 startups today, all mm-hmm. super flex, tight end premium, same starting setting, same everything. What would be the same about your drafts and what would be different out of the 100 drafts? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, and, uh, the Scots, Connor and Sidlow, um, and you know, all the other portfolio players are going to be probably pretty unhappy with my answer (laughs) because they're all going to look pretty similar. Um, I mean, I think that I would probably, I, I, I would mix it up a little bit with some of the names uh, you know, uh, depending on kind of the position and, um, the, uh, the, the type of profile that I'm looking for, but like, you know, just like my quarterback one, for instance, if, you know, in one league where I took Joe Burrow, another league, I'm going to reach past him and take Justin Herbert or, uh, um, you know, maybe even, uh, eh, those, those guys are really kind of in a tier, aren't they? I mean, like for me, Lamar Jackson um, is, is like I would consider Lamar Jackson over those guys if I already have to use a overused cliche. If I have enough exposure to <laughs> Burrow and Herbert at that point, uh, I would I would consider some Lamar Jackson and see what kind of roster mix I could make. I could build around him. Um, I'd be a lot more willing to do that if I had, you know, a hundred different leagues with a hundred different approaches. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about either building risk into some of these hundred teams or being conservative with them as well as future draft capital. How would you approach those two things? If I were to put you in a hundred leagues. That's a good question too. I I don't, I'm, I, like I kind of, I, I just, I really just isolate every one of those leagues, you know, um, that's part of the, the tough part. And that, like I said, I think that portfolio players will, will, um, give you a very different answer because they are kind of like looking at all of these together, um, just kind of spread out on the table where I, like I said, I'm, I'm just isolating each league and, uh, you know, I'll still, I, like, I still have a different, uh, kind of a different risk tolerance in each one of those leagues, but it's based on that league and kind of what I've been able to do at that point in the draft. What is it looking like at this point? Um, that's kind of the determining factor for me. Uh, I'm, I have never been able to, um, to kind of say, all right, this league, I can afford to take some more, some, you know, kind of some bigger chances because this other league I've got is, you know, nice and solid. Like I just, in my mind, like I have this idea of what a winning roster looks like. And I just, I, I, I have a hard time deviating from that Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, even if I I have 99 other leagues that look identical to it. (laughs) I think I'm the same way. I I don't necessarily think portfolio play is, I don't think it's for me. I don't know if it's optimal in this game. I think if we were trying to build a mutual fund, that would be great, but we're not, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, like I've I've seen it work. 
Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I like I'm, I'm in leagues with Scott Connor and um, have seen this, you know, seen him employ this and seen him um, the way he can kind of manipulate it. Man, he can build a killer roster. Um, but I, yeah, like it does kind of make me wonder um, at what point do you just kind of shut yourself off to the rest of your your quote unquote portfolio to the rest of your leagues and say, all right, here's my opportunity in this league. Let me just like, you know, instead of taking that 10,000 foot view of it, let me just like put this one under the microscope and say, man, here's, here's how I can turn this from a good team to a great team. And, you know, forget about the fact that like all these other leagues, you know, there's this player who's available to me, call it, call it Brees Hall who's available to me in this league. Well, I have him in a bunch of other leagues too. So uh, like, this is the thing that could put me over the top in this league, but I can't do it because, uh, because I already have too much exposure to Brees Hall. I like, I, I just, I kind of doubt that that's the way it actually ends up going, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I really should wait till he's on the show. Um, him or Sidlow to, uh, to kind of discuss this with them instead of trying to represent it for them. But that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of my guess, you know? And Scott is on, uh, Sidlow is on Trade Addicts this week. Everyone should tune in if you haven't heard already. Check him out on Trade Addicts. We will have him on soon. We've been DMing back and forth. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. But let's just flip the conversation on its head. Let's say that you only get to be in one league and it's a startup. You've orphaned all of your other teams. You get to be in one league from now on, John, <laughs> and it's drafting tonight. Tell me... What can't you leave your draft without? What do you need to accomplish? Um, yes, QBX, but tell me more. Tell me what it is um, that you're trying to leave that draft with. Um, so for me, it, it does depend a little bit on scoring settings as well. Um, but uh, like kind of a, a not only QBX, but a, a, a balance of floor and ceiling. At quarterback, mm-hmm. um, uh, I think uh, uh, you know a, a a a pretty robust group of running backs, including at least one absolute stud and one kind of PPR type of guy. Um, you know, fairly minimal wide receivers. Uh, um. I, and man, I, I really don't even have much of a profile on the wide receivers. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'd, I'd like one set it and at least one set it and forget it wide receiver. Um, and yeah, that's, I feel like that's kind of it. Uh, can we define a set it and forget it wide receiver for the super friends? What does that mean to you? Is it a number of targets is it um, just an eye test thing? Tell me what goes into a set it and forget it guy. I think it's kind of uh, the role on the team. Um, it's, uh, I, you know, I, if I was to guess, it's probably like top 24 wide receivers, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I feel like any of those guys is going to be a set it and forget it um, type of player. Basically just like uh, the is is the uh is the scoring ceiling well so it's 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 so tough because they they have pretty similar ceilings for the most part um and like and so it's based on floor the problem is wide receiver floor i don't feel like it's really much of a thing mm-hmm. like it's it's more about how many times can they hit that floor throughout the season. And typically we're looking for someone who can do it half the time. Like that's most wide receivers. Um, most or most, you know, fantasy viable wide receivers who aren't just kind of a dart throw, like flex Hail Mary type of play. Um, but you know, when you get into the the kind of the middle of the of the 
of the ADP when you look at guys like Brandon Ayuk and Jordan Addison and you know like those are to me those are guys who uh, should hit their they should be at their floor their scoring floor about half the season mm-hmm. um, and like that's all I need because so many players do that like you'll find a, a, there's going to be a couple players every year who uh, who go beyond um half the season at their floor um some of like there'll probably even be one or two you know a Tyree Hill um who's gonna do it like you know in in like 10 11 12 games gonna be uh at his floor um you know it, it, it that's not worth chasing like we would love to have that but it's it's really hard to predict who that's going to be. Yep. Uh, and so you know, kind of the the and it's also just like it's a margin that isn't really worth chasing, anyways. Just because you know the re- somebody has Tyree Kill, the rest of us are still are playing the exact same game at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You know whether we've got Brandon Ayuk or Nico Collins or or like we're 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 doing the same thing, and so when I run into someone who doesn't have Tyreek Hill, it's like yeah, it's kind of a coin toss for you if this player's going to hit his floor, and it's a coin coin toss for me if he's going to hit his floor. And you know if if mine doesn't hit his floor and yours does, I mean then it makes it a little bit tougher for me to find the the. Uh, margin of victory but you know I, at the end of the day you know the, the the big thing that i'm trying to accomplish is uh to to cover those margins with quarterback scoring anyways so mm-hmm. what the wide receivers do don't really matter to me as long as my quarterbacks are doing what they're supposed to do what is the earliest you're going to draft a tight end, let's just say like a 1.75 tight end premium super flex league. I know you want to get to your five quarterbacks to get to QBX and you do value the stud running backs mm-hmm. and you do value having one set it and forget it wide receiver. Where does tight end fit in, in a startup draft for you? Oh, I love this. Um, because, so I think this is, uh, this is a little bit different, uh, and it, it like, it's, it's a tough, it's a pretty abstract, um, theory here, but I really like to just kind of, uh, combine the tight end and wide receiver positions and call them the pass catchers. And, uh, with the idea being that, you know, the better my tight end one is, and particularly like in a, if, if there's a tight end premium, you just kind of shift all the tight ends up in your rankings a little bit. Um, the better that the tight end position is, the more points he's going to cover against my opponents, you know, just their lineup in general. Um, and the less that I need at wide receiver, the less I need from my wide receivers. So, you know, so like you can have, um, for a long time, it was if you've got Travis Kelsey, you don't need a wide receiver one. Your wide receiver one is essentially Kelsey. Like he's giving you that scoring, and not only that, he was giving you a scoring advantage beyond what any wide receiver could do. Can so, I interject here? I don't. Yeah. I don't think the conversation is whether or not you need a wide receiver one. I think you don't need a wide receiver three if you have Travis Kelsey. I think you can play mm-hmm. replacement level at wide receiver three, and just. Mm-hmm do whatever you're going to do at wide receiver one and two draft those normally have T Higgins and I don't know, Deontay Johnson as your wide receivers one and two. It's the three that can be, I mean, gosh, almost anybody Van Jefferson when you have Travis Kelsey, that's how I approach it. I I think that you still want to have some form of matching anybody else's wide receiver one or two on a given week. Um, I've had this thought in my head of, of frictionless points. When you trade for a wide receiver or a tight end, you have spent value and you have embraced volatility, right? You are accepting risk that that player is going to lose value. When you pick up Van Jefferson off of waivers and start him, you have spent nothing, right? There is no friction to that. You're, you're losing nothing. Friction is heat. Friction is waste. 
um, to whatever process that's occurring. To me, the the Travis Kelsey or the Mark Andrews or insert elite tight end here, what it allows you to do is to have free points somewhere else. Or if you have three really strong wide receivers and you're going really cheap at tight end, don't trade for a tight end. Just stream off of the waiver wire, assuming like a 28 man or fewer roster because you could you can find Tyler Conklin profiles for free and you you avoid all of that friction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think that that works too. That that makes a lot of sense too. Um so it sounds like we're we're kind of aligned though on the idea that like just just throw in the tight ends and wide receivers together, right? And um just kind of uh just basically build up your scoring floor uh, from the combination of those two positions. I've never thought of it that way, but I really like the concept. And it's one that's kind Mm -hmm. of always been in the background of my thought process. I just never actually formed the words. So that's something I'm going to be using moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say, man, (laughs) we invite 11 other super friends to your one league and they're all QBXers. Talk me through your approach. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't change a lot. Um, and it gets a little rough <laughs> for me. Um, because I've never been one to subscribe to the idea of, you know, being water, uh, you know, adapting to what the rest of the league does, take what they give you things like that because it's like yeah the opportunity is there for me if 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 everybody agrees with me that uh that wide receiver is just kind of generally a replacement level type position and you need lots of quarterbacks you need lots of running backs and so they're all drafting like that Uh, like in theory and this is this would be a very extreme uh version of this scenario but in theory i could get you know, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase in like the third and fourth round, Mm -hmm. if everybody's drafting the way I would draft. Um, I just, I, but I just don't see like, even, even at that price point, I don't see a way for me to win that league with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Like it, it, and that feels like the strongest, most damning thing I can possibly say about wide receivers. Finally, we're finally to this point where I'm just like, all right, here's the bottom freaking line with wide receivers. They cannot win you a league. You know, like there's just not a combination of wide receivers. It's going to, they can help you overcome a roster that has strong quarterbacks and strong running backs. It's just not a way to do it. Cause they're still going to have wide receivers. There's wide receivers are still going to score something. Their wide receivers might even outscore your wide receivers. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, you know, so I just, I, I just don't see a way to pivot to, to something like that pivot away from what I know works um, at least works for me. And I think works for in this scenario obviously works for 11 other people as well um i don't see a way to pivot away from that and still be successful so like at the end of the day i mean it 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 makes it look pretty gross it makes you know all of a sudden i'm taking um you know dak prescott in the first round and i'm taking kirk cousins in the second round or the third round something like that and um you know it's it's my my quarterback group isn't nearly as strong as it typically would be, but I just know that this is this is the path for me, and I I'm gonna stick to it. Do you ever get nervous in the pack? Do you ever when you see quarterbacks going off early in a startup draft? Are you more inclined to trade up? Are you going to be aggressive about getting another second round pick or another third round startup pick? and making sure that you have an ability to either get that stud running back or make sure you've got two top 15 quarterbacks. When you see quarterbacks going, what is your, what changes in your strategy in terms of getting up or down the draft board? Um, so I, I have to start with this just kind of right up front. This is something that I've, I talked about a while back. I haven't, I still haven't put nearly enough 
thought or research into it. And I'm kind of curious what you think about it too, but uh, I'm not so sure that there's anything to really be gained by trading in a startup either way. Like, I think that people end up even, even if it seems like a good value on that first trade, uh, you know, to trade up into the first round, like you just kind of slowly start losing value throughout the rest of the draft. And um, I think it puts you in a bad position. So like this, it's not the question at all, but uh, <laughs> I feel like it's, <laughs> it's kind of worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. I have this, uh, this working theory that uh, the best thing to do is to just stay put, make all your picks and keep all your future picks. Let's go um, down to that a little bit, though. So yeah. you've got, let's do some real obvious ones. Um, you've got three players you feel really good about, and you can drop back two spots. Are you are you advocating sticking and picking or grabbing an extra, let's say you get a 2025 third round pick for your trade back? Are you willing to do that? Or are you truly going to stay and make that pick? I guess a smaller move like that probably isn't nearly as detrimental as kind of what I'm picturing Mm -hmm. where you're giving up, you know, like a a second, a third and a fifth uh, to, for an extra first round pick Mm -hmm. like that. Like it, you know, it feels like good value at the time you end up with this awesome start. Like you get Mahomes and Josh Allen and you, you know, you feel like quarterback is set, but then now you don't make another pick till the fourth round and then you get one pick and then you sit out another round. Like Mm -hmm. that's where I think people start to run into to problems that they didn't really foresee at the time when they made the trade. So um, I think a smaller trade like that probably makes a little bit more sense. Uh, um, Like, I mean, I would have to be seriously deadlocked on those three players Mm -hmm. uh, to move back two spots. Uh, I would have to legitimately feel like there is absolutely no difference for me between those three players, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of rare, but uh, I think it could happen. And in that case, I could see it. Um, I just, I, I, I don't like I, the, the big thing that makes this such a, a landmine, I think is the fact that, you know, one trade kind of turns into another trade. And so, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people might do there is trade back. uh, They've got three, you know, three players that they like. So they trade back two spots. And then the next player that goes is not one of those three players. Yep. You know, and so now we're going to move back again because like it seems like one of my three players is going to fall to me and I can just keep moving back. And then you end up missing on them completely like all of them. And then you have to kind of compromise on, uh, on some kind of replicant. <laughs> like, it, it, I, like, I think that that's kind of the, the slippery slope that people hit when they start making trades. And that's kind of the, the part of it that makes me wonder if, um, and again, like I don't have a, a, a just rock solid opinion on this. It's more just a thesis um, but I, I kind of think that, uh, people are going to feel better about their, their draft all the way through and not make panic moves if they just stay put and make all their picks. I like that. Let's talk about maybe the worst feeling in a startup and that's getting sniped. Yeah. You know, you've got, you've got somebody on your mind and they go, you know, two picks before your next draft selection. Are you inclined to chase that player? Will you make an offer in the startup draft for that player? Do you wait until it's over and we get deeper into the non-point scoring season? How do you approach that? Yeah, I think you got to wait, right? Um, I think you have to wait as long as you can. Um, So this, and this is something I talked about on Rookie Fever the other day. Uh, You know, people really kind of cling to uh, to the draft and, um, you know, as close as you are to the draft, the more they're going to be like, Oh yeah, he was my first round pick or, Oh yeah, I took him ahead of this player. So like this player that you're offering me, like I drafted this, 
you know, this player that you're asking for ahead of the player that you're offering me. So why would I make that trade? The more we can let amnesia kind of creep in for people and the more we can get away from the draft because the draft, again, the, the values change once the startup is over. And particularly once we get to the season uh, and it's time to start setting lineups and people have, you know, strengths and weaknesses throughout their roster, it's going to change the values. And then they start scoring points and it's absolutely going to change things even more. So uh, you really kind of want to wait until people um, kind of back off of, uh, you know, and, and are less beholden to what they did in the draft. We want them to to kind of forget about that and just say, "All right, player for player, what's what does the value look like?" How does your approach change when you're in a startup draft and you don't know the other managers versus their folks that you've been in a bunch of leagues with? A Scott Connor, let's say, you kind of know yeah. how he's going to play. What about folks you don't know? How are you finding edges in? playing with strangers, people who don't know John Hogue, the Superflex dude. Oh man, that's like, that's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had one of those in a while where just nobody knew QBX was coming. Um, like there's always somebody in there who's like, oh yeah, I knew he was going to do this. Everybody else is pissed off, but there was one person <laughs> who was like, oh yeah, like I listened to the Superflex Super Show. I knew he was going to do this. Now he's going to start playing Superflex Bingo on you whiners. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I. it's been so long. I mean, I don't think it really changes anything um, for me. Again, like I, I just know my path, you know, I know what works for me. Um, I know the roster construction I want. I know the uh, the the type of players I want at each position, and and um, it just it doesn't change based on you know what the rest of the league is doing or what the rest of the league knows about me. It's just like this is this is kind of the way I uh, I I operate and operate successfully. So yeah. this is what I do. Um, like, I, I, I think that I'll probably get slightly better players. Like I'll probably scoop up more of my sleepers. And in fact, I'll reach for them a little bit, uh, when it's people that I don't know, like j just to make sure I load up on them and, um, load up on, you know, the, the specific names that I want. I think I'm going to have a little bit better access to those guys. So I, I think that's probably the difference. It's not a huge one, unfortunately, but. Do you have a couple names you want to share? Some sleepers that you're real into this, this non-point scoring season? Definitely. I mean, uh, in, in, so lots of running backs and we've, we we kind of talk about them quite a bit. Um, Ty J Spears is one, um, uh, you know, Isaiah Spiller and uh, Zamir White. Um, you know, some guys like that that we've talked about. Uh at quarterback Ryan Tannehill is one that I keep ending up with super late. Um, just because he still feels like an NFL starter to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I it Bryce Young and Will Levis, I think they're sleepers a little bit. Uh, I don't think that people are um really considering them viable options just yet so i think they'd be good ones um like wide receiver there's kind of sleepers throughout that position you know starting with like kind of higher uh higher tier sleepers like jackson smith najigba you know um people are pretty sold on marvin harrison jr over jackson smith najigba and, uh, I, I like, I felt like JSN was the better prospect last year. I feel like he's, he still has, um, a little bit more promise and above all else, like right now we know his situation and we know that it's good. Mm -hmm. We have no idea where Marvin Harrison jr is going to land. 
if he if they keep mocking him to New England, if he's in New England, whoever goes to New England, I'm just they're like they're dead to me. Um, but yeah, if it was if Marvin Harrison Jr. lands in New England, we talked about this with Zach. Uh, maybe it was off there, but um, the, you know, it just it it's just kind of a death sentence for a wide receiver, especially one that plays the game the way Marvin Harrison Jr. does. So, um, yeah, it, it to me it's way too soon to uh, to make a, a statement like that, but it kind of makes players like JSN a little bit of a sl- of sleepers. You know, mm-hmm. I paid two seconds and two thirds for JSN. In one oh, nice. <laughs> it felt like a good get. I immediately traded yeah. him um, away after, but I was I was pretty psyched. I think that there is somewhere in the 112 range. Um, there's some accessibility to JSN. And if you believe in him, if you think, you know, it's just ADOT holding him back, then he's a screaming buy. Um, mm-hmm. I just got one more question for you, John, and I certainly want to open it up to you after if you have any, any other thoughts you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. All right. A manager wants to try QBX. They've never done it. What advice would you give them? It's late February. What advice would you give them if they're in a startup draft that, you know, is happening in the next couple of days and they want to give this strategy a shot? Is there anything that we haven't covered that is specific to QBX that you would want to impart onto those super friends? Yes, absolutely. The number one thing with QBX is you have to be willing to whatever quarterbacks you draft, you need to be willing to take them into the, into the season. Uh, You need to like, so many people are going to see you taking five quarterbacks and they're going to say, Oh, they're just, he's just trying to corner the market so he can trade them um, for a, for a haul, you know? And, and, and then like that's super flex bingo right there. Like they start saying that and then they're like, well, we're just as a league, we're just going to all agree to not trade with him. Like we'll trade quarterbacks among uh, the rest of us, but we're not going to trade with him. We're not going to let him, you know, hijack our, our quarterbacks and hold them for ransom. And so like you, you have to go into it with a mindset that that's not at all what you're doing. You have to be okay with, uh, in you know, to me, this is kind of the number one benefit of, of QBX is just the ability to stream the position within your roster. I feel like I say that pretty much every week, but like it, it's not about the trade value for me. I'll take advantage of the trade value uh, if, it, if it presents itself. But the, for me, the bigger thing is the ability to, to stream quarterbacks within my roster, make sure I've got a quarterback at the super flex position every single week and also be able to pick on good matchups and avoid bad matchups. Like that's what I want. And if you're, if, if that's not something that you're able to, uh, to kind of incorporate into your strategy, then QBX probably isn't for you. Like if you're just looking for uh, that trade value so that you can, um, again, so you can kind of hold them for ransom and and expect a haul in return. It's probably not going to work out that way, at least not for a while. So, like either way, like even if that is going to work at some point, even if eventually people are going to say, "All right, this sucks. My quarterbacks are horrible. I'll pay whatever it takes. I've got a roster that's ready to run to to contend." Um, I just need a little bit of quarterback help and I can afford to overpay for quarterbacks. Um, and I I'm justified because this roster deserves better quarterback play. Then they come to you and they offer you a haul. Great. It's going to take a while for them to come to that realization though. If you don't have the patience for that, it again, quarterback extreme just isn't going to work for you. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, you've also just gifted yourself another worthy opponent too. So you have to be careful there. Yeah. If everything else is going well on that roster (laughs) and all they need is Derek Carr, it's like, well, shoot, (laughs) is the value gain of an overpay for Derek Carr worth dealing with another playoff team? You're right. (laughs) That's probably true, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I I just I like I've I have a, a little bit of hubris when it comes to it. And I'm just like, all right, here's your quarterback that supposedly fixes your roster completely. 
my quarterback, my roster's down a quarterback, but I still feel like I'm going to smash you. So bring it on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, these these arms race teams that I've built, the value of the quarterback is almost an impediment. I don't want to deal them away. It makes people angry. Right. <laughs> I would rather they weren't worth a lot and I could just have them, you know? <laughs> right. I know, right? Uh, um, that's all I had in terms of questions for you, John. I appreciate you <laughs> just taking them on the nose too. We didn't, we didn't prepare yeah, any of this. I just, I had some thoughts about startup drafts and you're, you're the guy <laughs> I wanted to talk to about it. So thanks for, for taking those. Do you have anything else that's on your mind? Well, no, I kind of think that, well, I do have I do have kind of one concept that I was thinking about earlier that um, and and it might be something that you can help me verbalize a little bit uh, when it comes to this startup is, um, you know, part of the reason for quarterbacks early quarterbacks often is, um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to make sure that we get the number of quarterbacks that we want. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing quarterback extreme and you, you want five of them. It's not that you need, you know, one of those first round guys. Uh, that's, in fact, the, it's kind of the opposite for this particular strategy. Um, it's not that you need Jalen Hurts. It's that by taking Jalen Hurts, you've got more runway to get to five quarterbacks within, you know, however many rounds it takes for them to dry up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, just to kind of expand on this, this, idea a little bit this theory a little bit it kind of goes beyond um just what you do with your first pick it's every pick you know and and like this is kind of where it's some point in the draft and i think it's fairly early and i think it's earlier than people think i would say probably around like the sixth or seventh round of a startup it becomes more and more acceptable to reach for players it's really just kind of become uh it you know it's less about is that player going to be available for me at my next pick? And it's more about how much real estate do I have on this roster still? So, you know, I want to, I want Ty J Spears on my roster. I don't have to take him in the sixth round. I don't have to take him in the seventh round, whatever, but I have other guys that I also want to be able to take in the seventh round. And so I'll take Ty J Spears in the sixth round. Um, you know, uh, maybe he would have fell to the eighth, but I still have several players in that range that I want. So I'm reaching for Ty J Spears, um, not because I feel like I have to, to make sure I get him on my roster, but to make sure that I still have the room that I need for the, the rest of the picks that I want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that gets really, really overlooked. Uh, I don't think there's nearly enough planning when it comes to, uh, you know, the 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 way to achieve the roster build or the roster mix that you're looking for, and does your draft slot weigh into that as well? I mean, being on yeah. a turn is very different than being at the 105. Let's say, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like it it gets a little bit harder to budget roster space when you're doing it two at a time, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and then of course, you know, it does all of a sudden, uh, you know, their like their likelihood to make it to the next turn that does come into play as well. Um, but you know, even just, just in terms of, um, you know, how do I get all of these guys onto my roster? Uh, especially when you do have to do it two at a time, like it, it kind of takes away some of your your ability to take some chances with, um, you know, with some high value type of players that you might want to, that you don't particularly believe in and you might want to trade them away, you know, mm-hmm. um, it makes it harder for me to take Christian McCaffrey, for instance. It does feel good though, when you're on the turn and you trade for one pick to give you three in a row. I feel like you can really start yeah. to influence things when you have three picks in a row and it becomes so natural to trade back once or twice, at least for me. So you can sort of capitalize on these little micro bubbles and you can, I don't know, you can throw your weight around a little bit in like the six twelve or whatever, you know? Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, that's true too. Um, and it, man, like it also feels really good to go like to make back-to-back picks at the same position, particularly quarterback and tight end, man, that's a power move. Like Mm -hmm. if like to go tight end, uh, at, at a, at a turn, you know, and take, get like Mark Andrews and Trey McBride and just like watch everybody else's face just sink. Like, Oh, great. So now what the hell are we supposed to do at tight end? Yeah. So, yeah, especially in tight end premium, starting those tight end runs feels so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Anything else on your mind tonight? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Um, well, one last thing uh, is uh, turnabout is fair play. I say next week, if we don't have a guest, um, I'm interviewing you on Orphans. If yes. that sounds that sounds good. Is that, I don't that. I don't have a lot of thoughts, a lot of experience with orphans, and I think that all of us, myself included, uh, would really benefit from hearing about your process and um, like your selection process, and then uh, what you do with it from there. I think there's a lot to be gleaned. So, uh, yeah, if if you're up for it next time, well. Screw if you're up for it. You're you're it. This is happening. <laughs> you you interviewed me. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is going to be so fun because I do have a lot of thoughts and I think they're sometimes very conventional. Sometimes they're real out there in terms of how I work through those processes. Um, that sounds great. And um, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's wrap this one up for today though. What do you say? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah, like like my man said, let's wrap this one up for the week. And as we do that, ask you for a quick favor if you haven't already. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts Mega Feed. You get access to all the great podcasts from DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Once you've subscribed to the Super Show, though, if you do us a huge favor and rate and review, helps us to get out to more people, include more people in the conversation. From there, we can really drill down to the topics that are the most useful to you, our super friends. You can get at us on X. He's at FF Tommy B. I'm at Superflex, dude. This episode was dedicated in loving memory to James the Brain Petulis. Thank you to DynastyLeagueFootball.com for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy.